Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Donald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. 47-yard attempt. Biggest kick of the year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Snap good, hold good, and Raiders in, Chargers out, Steelers in. This thing could have ended in a tie. Chargers call a timeout. How did that shift the strategy? Yeah, it definitely did, obviously. Uh, but we, we we knew no matter what, we didn't want to tie. We wanted to win the football game, obviously. If you tie, you're in, and all, I think all those things. But my mindset all day, I even was texting with Aaron Rodgers this morning. Uh, this morning, yeah, my mindset was to make sure that we were the only team moving on after this. Oh, it's a Monday to cap the biggest season in NFL history: 272 games done. And they really did save the best for last. I don't want to get caught up in the whole recency bias thing, Mike Golick, but that was a damn good game last night, and good morning. That was good morning to you, Mike, and that was what a fantastic finish. As you mentioned, used to pick 256 games all the time. Now it was 272, and that last kick in the air, and by the way, Daniel Carlson doesn't miss at home. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't even put any drama into it. You know he's going to make it. But that kick, it's amazing. You practice for all those hours. You game plan for all those hours. You do everything for all those hours. And one kick decides three teams' fate, right? Puts the Raiders in, knocks the Chargers out, and puts Pittsburgh in. Because for a while there... I know you had to think it, and everybody was thinking it. The unthinkable was going to happen. They were going to play to a tie, and both the Chargers and the Raiders would have been in, and the Steelers would have been out last night. That would have been an unbelievable ending, and I thought we were getting that. Yeah, it was a, almost, a little, almost a little bit of an homage to Bill Parcells. This is why you lift all them weights. But really, it is. It's why you do every single thing, every moment, every thought, every film 
that you watch, every play that you review, every move that you make, it comes down to something that nutty. And look, the NFL and NBC loves to have that last game essentially be a playoff game. But there's no playoff game that affects three teams. We got last night something we've never seen before with the Steelers' fate directly tied to the one tie that everybody but the Steelers would have been fine with. that. That's what was so amazing about it. You know, it felt like the plane was landing just kind of gradually and inevitably on that tie and then the, the, they pulled up, and it, it changed the vibe, and it changed the dynamic. We'll be talking about that over the course of the next two hours. But that's what made the memorable night even more memorable. Final score of 35-32. Raiders win. They're in. Chargers lose. They're out. No tie. Steelers in. And I still feel like I'm recovering from everything that went on. And so much of Justin Herbert's performance is going to get lost in the final outcome. Mike, look. This kid's the real deal. I'm, I, you know, the, the, those, those drives down 29-14 in the fourth quarter, those two drives, it just felt inevitable. And just move it to fourth down. Just make every play fourth down. They're converting every fourth down. Forget about first, second, and third. They can't do anything on those plays. Just put it on fourth down. It's unbelievable. And I hope we don't forget how great Justin Herbert was last night, even though his team didn't win. Yeah, you know, most people will because now we move on to the playoffs and they're no longer in play. Uh, so, un unfortunately, people will forget about it. That's just, that's the nature of the game. And the amazing thing about it, Mike, was they weren't like fourth and two. I mean, they were, they were perfect at going incomplete, incomplete, incomplete and being fourth and ten. They were six of seven on fourth down conversions. The only one they didn't make was when they did it on their own 18-yard line. But when they needed him the most at the end, they were fourth and longs, and they were getting it done a couple of times, barely, barely getting it done, but got it done nonetheless. So you kind of felt, okay, were they playing with fire too much? Was that eventually going to run out? Or were, gonna, were they going to be able to put it in the end zone? And that's exactly what they did with the 12-yard pass to Mike Williams after, you know, a play is getting reviewed. Was that a catch at the 12-yard line, which it was as soon as you saw the replay you saw it was because it would have been from the 28-yard line the last play of the game and not from the 12 had they not reviewed that and made that a catch. So you either had the feeling time was going to uh, – the fourth down luck was going to run out. It wasn't luck. It was skill. They were getting it done. Uh, but they finally got it done and put it in the end zone, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, and then I, I really did. I thought it was going to be a tie ball game. I can't believe the last run of the game – Josh Jacobs, who had a great game running, 132 yards, career high for him, gets, what, seven or eight yards on that last run. They stuffed him a couple of times, and then they get seven or eight yards on that last run to make it certainly a more manageable, what was it, 47-yard field goal instead of what would have been like a 55-yard field goal. And we'll circle back and break down second by second what happened in those closing moments. But how about Justin Herbert? Listen to this. On fourth down, he was six for six for 106 yards. My calculator tells me, because I couldn't do this math myself, 17.66 infinity yards per attempt on fourth down. 17.6 yards per attempt. I mean, 17.6 is unheard of. It's unheard of in any setting. Six passes, six completions, 106 yards, all on fourth down. Incredible performance from Justin Herbert. It's a damn shame.
it's a damn shame that the Chargers. I don't, I don't want to say didn't win. It's just a damn shame it, it didn't end in the tie. But then we'd be saying it's a damn shame the Steelers get, didn't get in after what what they did. Just it's the ultimate yeah. game of musical chairs. There were two seats and three asses, and the way it worked out, the Raiders and the Steelers advanced. It's just, it just I'll never forget last night. I, I really I, I know it just happened, but I'll never forget last night. Here's the amazing thing, too, Mike. We we all knew. That if they tied last night, because, you know, Staley had talked about how, you know, didn't want to hear any of that. Who, who would think they would actually, you know, kneel down all the time and play for a tie? But then all of a sudden in the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game, that went to overtime. And now everybody's trying to calculate, okay, what happens if these two teams tie? You know, what's the scenario then? We knew the scenario for last night's game. But all of a sudden, everybody was trying, and not me, when I say everybody, I don't mean me because my eyes would glaze over trying to calculate that if Pittsburgh and Baltimore tied. But that got thrown in the equation until I know we'll talk about it. Uh, Pittsburgh ends up pulling that game off. But I'm with you. What a great game. You thought, you thought at first it was the Raiders that were going to blow them out and going to run away with them. And then the Raiders, how about finishing with four straight after losing five of the previous six? That's why I didn't know how much you could trust them. You know, I didn't know if you could trust them in this final game of the season, but the one person you can trust in a close game, especially at home, you can trust their kicker because he was absolute money to finish off that game and finish off an incredible regular season. And we really didn't know whether it was going to come down to that kick. There was a vibe, and I know it's one thing to feel it in the stadium, but sometimes you can still sense through the TV where this is heading and as the clock was ticking and there was no real urgency and no one was using timeouts it was beginning to feel like the teams were content to get out of there with the tie let's both get in rich basacci had made the comment before the game we're playing to win but we want to get to the playoffs and you think about his current job status he's better off getting to the playoffs than going all in because he gets to the playoffs, it's going to yeah. be hard to not bring him back as the coach of the team. And, and yeah, there's a little selfish motivation there, but so be it. You get your team to the playoffs. And, and I know everybody said, well, they don't want to play the Chiefs again. They don't want to play the Chiefs again. Well, the Bengals beat them 32-13 to 13 this year. So it's not like that's a picnic going to Cincinnati. And Mike, at a certain point, you got to look at this and say, wait a minute, Raiders played 70 minutes last night. And now they play Saturday. That's their reward. You play Saturday in the early game against the Bengals. If it had been a tie, you get an extra day. And you tell me how important is the extra day to get ready for a playoff game. And you go to a place where you won in the 2020 regular season. And you know Arrowhead Stadium. You're not in awe of the crowd. You've, yeah, you lost there. And that was your low watermark of the season. You got blown off the field. But so what? You, you, you got blown out by the other team you may play too. You get that extra day. How is that not? And this is unprecedented for any coach. But how is that not? ricocheting through Rich Passaccia's mind as he's trying to figure out, do I take this tie or do I go for this win? Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, you're, a day is a day. At this point of the season, we know everybody's body. You think Josh Jacobs could use an extra day? Dude's running with bad ribs. You think he could love an extra day of rest? Yeah, he would. But So I, I, in all honesty, I was a little surprised at that. That, that out route that... that um, Carr ended up throwing to Zay Jones. It was a, I believe it was Zay. It was an unbelievable throw. That's when I thought, wow, they're going down. They're, they're going to try and score. They're going to try and win this game. So that was a mentality. 
you know, to keep playing to win the game. But, you know, after that, then it was just run, run, run. I, again, I'd have been interested. Would they have tried the 55-yard field goal? Probably. I mean, Carlson could, could make it. But now you're taking a chance on a longer field, a, a longer field goal. The ball's got to come out lower on trajectory to make it. You take the chance of a block. I mean, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were, I mean, they just kept giggling, you know, the last four minutes or so of overtime going, is this really going to happen? I mean, are they really going to play for the tie? And you heard Derek Carr at the end said we were playing to win to knock him out. I, and, and I guess they obviously were because they went down the field. But, but I agree with you do anything you can to get into the playoffs. If they took knees there just to make sure they got in the playoff, I would have had zero issue with it. It is all about this is pro sports, man. You get to the playoffs any way that you can. You get there. And they could have got there with an extra day of rest. But it also shows the mentality, too, of players. You're out there playing. You want to win a game. And you put yourself in position to win a game. And that's exactly what they did. And processing an unprecedented situation in real time. There's no analytics for what to do in that situation. There is now. There's one data point from last night's game. There was no prior information that could be processed on how to make decisions in that moment. So let's focus on what went down. You mentioned the throw to Zay Jones that converted the third and eight and gave the Raiders first and ten from the Chargers 45 at the two-minute warning, and obviously in overtime, there is another two-minute warning where everything stops and the rules change. Not all of the rules because there's automatic replay review through the entirety of overtime. So it's first and 10 from the Chargers 45. That's when Josh Jacobs gets stuffed for a one-yard loss. Clock kits, uh, ticks down to 120. And that during that, after the one-yard loss, that's when we really started. And I'm going to use this metaphor of the plane is landing on a tie. That's when it really began to feel yeah. that way. You could sense it from Alan Chris. They run it again. They gain seven yards. They get the ball to third and four, and the tick, tick, tick keeps going, and you're getting the sense. We're fine with this. Fashion your seatbelts. Trade tables in the upright position. Here we go. We're landing this plane with a tie, <laughs> and then as we get closer and closer, now they're not in victory formation. Some people are saying, oh, they were going to take a knee. I don't know how you take a knee out of that formation, Mike. But that's when all of a sudden everybody stops. It's like, what the hell? The Chargers took a timeout with four or five seconds on the play clock, 38 seconds on the clock. And that's when, and I was in a plane one time where it was foggy. And, you know, the, it happened three or four times where you feel like the plane's landing, the plane's landing, and they pull up. That was the moment where the plane got pulled up when Brandon Staley took that time out. And it kind of broke the spell. It felt like we're moving, like everybody's fine. Here we go, here we go. And that timeout wiped it all clean. And the Raiders get the first down. They get in great position for the 47-yard field goal and everything changed. I feel like that, whatever the motivation, we'll hear from both coaches. But that, that taking of the timeout burst the bubble on the vibe that they were both going to settle for a tie. Well, I, the only thing I'll say, first, I, I, get, I get the Zay Jones trying to make that completion for the first down because you don't. Now you're punting the ball back and it's a two-minute drill for the Chargers so they can try and go down for the win if they want to. So, you know, and I heard, you know, everybody scratching their head about the timeout. I was as well. But the bottom line to me is the Raiders were still going to run another play, and they were going to run that same play they ran. They didn't do anything crazy. They ran a straight dive with Josh Jacobs. Stop them. You know, I looked at the, yep. at the, the, uh, the line of scrimmage. It would have been a 56-yard field goal had they played that run and stuffed them. So they were going to run that play, gained eight, nine yards. 
I mean, he put them in a way better field goal position to do that. So while I get it, while I understand it was a head scratcher on the timeout, I don't know if it would have made a difference. I don't think the play changed for the Raiders. I think it was going to be a dive. I don't think they were going to chance anything. They were going to hand the ball to Jacobs. And he gained that amount of yards. Charges, you got to stop them because that, to me, would have been the interesting play. Had they stuffed them, would they have tried a 56-yard field goal with the chance of it possibly getting blocked because of how low it came out? That I don't know, and that's something we'll never know. Well, let's. Uh, I think they would not have if that play would have been stopped. And, and again, it gets back to the mentality and the vibe coming from the field as they were getting closer and closer to the tie. I don't know, would the Chargers have made the tackle? Would Josh Jacobs have run as hard? That I feel like that tie ended up being a hard reset on the vibe. And and that's what, even if it's the same play call, if it's the same defense, I feel like the play gets executed differently once they have the timeout, they take a breather, and they realize, hey, we just need to gain four or five yards here, and we have a chance to win the game with a field goal, and we can send this team home, and we never have to worry about playing them again in the postseason, although you're talking about two low seeds. The chances of them getting together were very, very slim anyway. Let's hear from the two head coaches about the mindset as we got the timeout and what Rich Passaccia was thinking on the other sideline from Brandon Staley as we got closer and closer to the end of the game. First Staley, then Passaccia. Here they are. Brandon, you took a timeout there with 38 seconds left before the third and fourth. Why, why did you take a timeout there? Yeah, we needed to get in the right grouping. We felt like they were going to run the ball, so we wanted to get our best 11 personnel run defense in, um, make that substitution so that we could you know, get a play where we would deepen the field goal. Derek Carr said after the game that that timeout changed their mentality. Do you think that had any reason to do with them? I don't think it changed their mindset because they were going to run the ball on the play before, and then they ran the ball the very next play. So we wanted to make sure that we got our run defense in there. Um, and we, you know, we obviously didn't execute well enough, but we wanted to get our premium one-back run defense in here, and that's what we did. Was, there, was any part of the motivation for you saving time to potentially win it if they were to miss that field goal? My mindset was to make the field goal as long as possible. At the end of the game, you know all the playoff machinations right. if you tie. Was there any consideration to just running down the clock there and not even attempting a field goal? To yeah, it was, it was a conversation. We were talking about it. You know, I don't know if you know, we ran the ball there, and they didn't call a timeout. So I think they were probably thinking the same thing. You know, And then, then we had the big run to there. And when we got the big run, and got us we thought was field advantageous field goal position for us. We were going to take the field goal and try to win it. But we were certainly talking about it on the sideline. We wanted to see if they were going to call a timeout or not on that run. They didn't, so we thought they were thinking the same thing. And then we popped a run in there and gave us a chance to kick the field goal to win it. So we're certainly talking about it. Uh, Mike, to your point, <laughs> maybe the Chargers need to rethink their best personnel for stopping the run. They specifically called the timeout to get the best personnel on the field to stop the run, and they proceeded to give up eight or nine yards when they knew exactly what the Raiders were doing. There was no mystery what was happening on either side of the ball in that moment. It was just a failure of execution, or we would be talking today about the Chargers playing the Bills, the Raiders playing the Chiefs, and the Steelers sitting at home pissed off at the world because their chance at the playoffs was ruined by a tie. I mean, I, I guess what I don't understand is, didn't they just stop the run a couple of times? I mean, so what What defense were they putting in? I mean, that's what the Raiders were doing. They were running the ball, right? I mean, they were already doing that. I mean, what do you, are you, you're not going to, if you're going to, are you going to goal line defense? I don't think you're doing that. 
And man, if that's what you did, then you're right. I mean, stand up and, and applaud the Raiders' offensive line. Because if they specifically called a timeout to get their run defense in, man, did that not work. In which I thought they were already playing the run anyway. So I was a little surprised. And it sounded like that. Again, we'll, we'll never know. It sounded like that if they stuffed them there that they may not have tried that field goal. I think I agree with you. They may have just said, you know what? We're not going to risk having trying to boot a ball that far with what may happen, so we'll just go ahead and take the tie. So if that was the mentality of Staley, okay. I mean, I I guess I get it. You want to have your best personnel out there for what you think the play is going to be, but I guess you had just done that a couple of times, so I, I don't know what was so different. I may have to take a look at that again, but... At least, at least, Mike, I can understand the thought process that says we want to get our best personnel because we think they're going to run the ball, and that's exactly what they did, and they went through your best personnel, you know, for eight, nine yards. And, you know, something I was thinking of this morning, Mike, because part of the skill that a coach acquires over time is knowing when to call a timeout and when not to call a timeout. And... The explanation from Brandon Staley is perfectly logical, despite the complete and total failure of the personnel he put on the field to do what they were put on the field to do. I understand why he took the time out. It makes sense to me. Okay. But, but there are certain situations, and I think this is something that requires time. It requires reps. It requires wisdom. And I think back to Super Bowl 49. Remember at the end of the game when the Seahawks were getting closer and closer to the end zone? And people were wondering, why isn't Bill Belichick taking a timeout here and saving time so he can get down the field and and try to win the game because you're not going to have any time? You're, what are you doing? You know, he, he just – and this is – here's the difference. Back when that game was being played, Brandon Staley was uh, on his way from James Madison to John Carroll. So this is the difference of experience. Belichick's been in the NFL forever. He, in that moment, sensed something. Right, all the accumulation, and and this is, and I don't want to go into an anal- analytics rant and get the analytics mafia all pissed off on, at us on a on a Monday morning because last night was a game that turned analytics on his head. Generally, that they're probably recovering from that, but the idea that there's something to be said for just having that sense of let's just let this keep going, let's let's not interrupt this. This is back to my original point. The plane's landing. There's just a vibe developing here. We don't we don't need to worry about getting our best possible personnel to stop eleven personnel and all. We don't know. No, there's just there's a, there's something here. There's kind of a handshake. The the two the two palms are approaching each other and they're getting ready to say, okay, let's both get into the playoffs here. And that timeout disrupted that vibe. And that's so. I mean, I personally think Bill Belichick wouldn't have called the timeout in that spot, regardless of who was on the field. His kicker and punter and long snapper could have been on the field for that play, and he wouldn't have called the timeout. And and that's the difference between young coach and old coach, inexperienced coach and seasoned coach. Because I don't think Bill Belichick calls that timeout because he senses where it's going. And Brandon Staley got caught up in the weeds of we don't have the right eleven guys on the field. And it caused him to pop that. I get back to that. Pull the pull the plane up when the plane was landing on a tie. So I love first your your two analogies. You've gone plane landing and you've gone handshake. So you've you've done two analogies. But you you've in in all honesty, I agree with you because I do think it was the exact same play. I don't think the Raiders changed their play, but I think and I don't know if the mentality changed, but it was what you, you used a good word. It was kind of a reset. 
Everybody kind of got a breath. Everybody kind of got a little air and said, okay, one more play, man. We'll come flying off the ball. Or if that clock just kept running, I, I kind of agree. You were kind of in that mode. Hey, we're going to run it up the middle. You know we're going to run it up the middle. You know, everything. Let's, everything's going to be cool here. Certainly, we're going to try and execute it. But we kind of have that again. The plane is landing. Our hands are getting close to shaking to the end of this thing. I do agree with you. I, I agree that, that the timeout kind of paused it and gave everybody that breath to give one more, you know, okay, well, let's just go and see what happens here. So I, I, I would agree that the timeout did change it a bit. It really was something to see. I, I, I think it was the greatest regular season game since the Chiefs-Rams game from November of 2018, the game that would never end and that we didn't want to end. And in some respects, this game, maybe the passage of time will make us appreciate how how special and unique last night's game was to every everyone knew about the the chaos scenario of the tie and and you know there were people suggesting that it should just should have been a series of knees all night long and and that was never in the conversation (laughs) what was in the conversation was there will be a point late in regulation and in overtime there will be a point where you start thinking it's in our mutual interest to just get out of Dodge with a tie. And that's kind of where we were. But there's never been anything like that that happens with another team directly affected by that outcome. I, 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 it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm careful to not engage in hyperbole in the hours after the game ended. But I think as the dust settles on this, we're going to continue to appreciate it for the unprecedented, rare, and probably to never be duplicated until another 102 seasons of the NFL go by uh, moment that that the season ended with, the biggest season ever ended with, and uh, we can only hope this is the springboard into what will be a memorable playoff uh, run for everyone involved. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I think the Raiders were shocked more than anybody that Josh Jacobs gained that amount of yards on the last play. I, I, I really do, because I, I think it was going to be a tie. I think they were it, – it's kind of what you do, you know, at the end uh, when, when there's not a lot of time on the clock in the fourth quarter and a team has the ball deep in their own territory, end of the half or end of the game, and you're wondering, what are they going to do? Are they going to go for it? And they're going to try a safe play, and if it gains a lot of yards, okay, we're going to go for it. You know, and if it doesn't, then we'll go into halftime with whatever the score is. And I think that was the, the mentality here. We're going to run a safe dive. Even after the timeout, that's not going to change. We're going to run a safe dive. If we get stuffed, you know, like, like it had a couple of times, then we play for the time. We move on to the, to, the, to the playoffs. But if somehow we gain a lot of yards, as, as you heard Rich say, it was a comfortable field goal, and it was for Carlson. Then you kick the field goal. So I, I think the outcome, it's amazing. Again, for all the plays that you run, the outcome of that one play was going to determine whether they were just going to let the clock run out and, and, and be a tie or try a field goal. And I'm sure it was like, oh, hell, look at all the yards he gained. Oh, we got to try a field goal now. We're right here. It'd be ridiculous not to. So let's go win the game. So, I, yeah, I truly think it, it, that if that was stuff there, it was going to be that tie. And there still was that incremental risk when you line up for the field goal from 47 yards out of a blocked field goal return for a touchdown by the Chargers. I mean, we, it's not like that play's never happened in NFL history. We've seen blocked field goals return for touchdowns. That's part of the risk you're taking. And that's the, the fire that the Raiders played with that entire drive. I saw people say, well, hey, it's pretty simple for the Raiders. Go for the win. 
and play the Bengals, go for the tie and play the Chiefs. Well, in the process of going for the win, you may throw a pick six. You may have the ball pop out. We saw that on the drive uh, after it went from 29-14 to to 29-22. What happened? Car gets hit, the ball comes out, and the Chargers had a chance at recovering and having a short field before they did the 19-play 83-yard drive with 2.09 left on the clock. So all it takes is one fluke. And your, your, your tie and win scenario both go out the window. And it could have happened on that field goal. You, you could have made the argument. Two seconds left. You could have made the argument. Rich Passaccia comes to the conclusion. You know what? You know what? Hey, I mean, l- let's, let's do analytics. Okay. If I take a knee with two seconds left, I'm in the playoffs. If I line up and do the snap, spot, hold, kick... There's a chance, as small as it can be, run the numbers computer and tell me. There's a chance they're going to block this field goal and return it for a touchdown. Whatever that chance is, it's greater than zero. That, that's, you, I'm telling you, and that's what, we've never been in this situation before. But I would have had no problem with Basachi after thinking about it saying, you know what, even now, even now, we're taking the knee. Even now. Because we're guaranteed a playoff spot if we just take the knee with two seconds left, even though there's a 47-yard field goal. We are taking risk, small as it may be, of the worst-case scenario if we – and and to, to hammer our point from earlier, you're getting one less day of rest. And, and, and everything that goes along with that, jo- uh, Josh Jacobs' ribs, Darren Waller's injury, everybody else you'd like to get ready to go for the game. That one day may make all the difference, so – uh, and, and, and an interim coach is the one who's got to make this decision. It's amazing. It's amazing. But I'm telling you, you know, I'm sitting here talking about it, thinking about it. M- maybe even after all that, his, his the smarter play would have been to just take the knee. It worked out, but that doesn't mean it was the smarter play. Yeah. Yeah, listen, uh, if he had taken a knee, I would have had zero problem with it. Like I said, you do whatever you have to do to get your team to the playoffs. Uh, once you get in, then anything can happen. And listen, the riskiest play on that drive was the third down play to, 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 to Zay, you know, on the sideline, right? I mean, that was a phenomenal pass by Carr. I mean, just a phenomenal pass. But again, you understand why they did it. They missed that. They're punting the ball back, and now the Chargers have that decision. The same thing the Raiders are doing. What would the Chargers do with two minutes to go and maybe go down and win the game? At least if you have the ball, you have the control of doing whatever you want, be it take a knee or run safe plays. And again, you know, credit to Josh Jacobs, a guy who hadn't been there early in the season with the, I believe it was an ankle injury, and Derek Carr was passing for monster yards. You know, and then they, they went through a tough part in the middle of the season, then they finished with four in a row. And a lot of that, Josh Jacobs was running the ball well, and he had an excellent night last night, and he broke a couple free. So I, I, it'd be interesting to me, and I don't know if we'll ever get the truth or anything like that, but I wonder what the number was. I wonder what it was of how far that last run had to go to feel safe enough to kick the field goal. You know, or to just say, you know what? Even at 47 yards, it's still too long. Certainly at 56 yards, I don't think there was any way they were gonna try it. Again, for people to understand how much lower the ball's gotta come out, the further you're back to get the distance, that means you up the, uh, the, the possibility of it being blocked. So uh, I, I, I agree if they got stuff there, they weren't going to kick it. But I wonder what that number was. What if he gained three yards there? What if he gained four? What if he gained two? 
You know, what was what was that number where he'd have felt still comfortable kicking that field? We won't know because they gashed him for eight, nine yards, you know, and made it pretty palatable field goal. Again, and Carlson hadn't missed there. So I understand them trying to kick it. But if they would have sat there and taken a knee at that point, I'd have said, no problem, man. You're in the playoffs, and that's what it's all about. I bet the break-even number was the 50. If it's a 50-yard field goal, they take a knee. 49 are in. They kick it. Because I think back to when we were growing up. You and I are just about the same age. Rich Passacci is 61. Back when we were growing up, a 40-yard field goal was a long field goal. And 50 was like, who the hell kicks a 50-yard field goal other than Tom Dempsey when he somehow made the 63-yarder? That's what made that record so remarkable. For anybody out there who didn't grow up when Mike and I grew up, I mean, 63, it's like, is that a typo? Uh, Because 40 was a big deal. 45, 45, you sure you're kicking to do that? Because they're all kicking straight on. They they didn't have the same leg strength we see now. And I think for Basaccia, the break-even would have been the 50. At 50 or longer, I ain't doing it. 49 or shorter, I am doing it. And again, who knows, because he was making a decision in real time that no coach has ever had to make in the 102-season history of the National Football League. But (laughs) this Raiders season has been incredibly memorable. They finish as the five seed. That's another argument in favor of it, because I don't want to get too caught up in the idea that they should have gone for the tie. Getting the five seed versus getting the seven seed has value, regardless of who you face later. Because who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs? The five seed, it could potentially get you the AFC championship game at home if we see a bunch of upsets in the postseason field. If you're the seven seed, you're never playing at home. With the five seed, you got a chance at some point you're going to host the Patriots or the Steelers in the AFC championship. Is that nuts? Is that ridiculous? Is it preposterous? Maybe, but it's not impossible. Oh, I listen, I, I completely agree. And, you know, how... I, that's another thing. What what was going through the mind? Was that going through the mind? Did they talk about an extra? I mean, again, this is real time, you know, of, of thing. And there's going to be different people, you know, in his ear, maybe bringing up some of these things. Hey, we got and, and I and I would love to know if that was brought up. Hey, we'd get an extra day or hey, we'd be the fifth seed and we could possibly host a game if six or seven, you know, went through and have some upsets that that I don't know. But man. For an interim head coach, he's certainly making a nice play to be the permanent head coach, given what this team has been through and the distractions they've had to now be in the playoffs after the 272nd game, they get the win in overtime. There's a lot for him to digest. We have the easy part. We can sit here and be Monday morning quarterbacks, right? And everybody out there has the right answer, right? On the next day, hindsight's always 20-20. But man, be in that moment, be in that time and make decisions that you never had to make before in real time. I mean, that's something. So everybody will have the right answer today or what they think is the right answer. But put just, just like watching Jeopardy or something, you know, oh, I know that answer. Yeah, we'll be there with the buzzer and see when it's going on in real time. If you know it then or if you don't freak out, if you hit the buzzer, if you make all the right moves to put yourself or your team in the right position, that's what he had to do. There's another angle to this, too, when you consider the adversity that this team has overcome. From what happened with John Gruden, after five games, he's out. Rich Passaccia takes over. The Henry Ruggs tragedy and what that did to the team. Up and down all year long. Bottomed out with the blowout loss at Kansas City. Win four in a row to get to the playoffs and enter the playoffs as the number five seed. Uh, Amazing 
to think about. Let's hear from Derek Carr on what the Raiders have had to overcome this season. I have a thought on the other side about Basaccia. You know, I was talking to Mr. Davis uh, in the locker room, and uh, one of the things we were talking about was like, I don't think any team has been through what we've been through in 10 years, let alone one year, you know. And, um, you know, you, there's so much emotion uh, with, uh, you know, pick a, pick a story, you know. Um, you know, there's so much emotion with, with everything that we've done in the, you know, my brother said it best. He said, this team was forged in the fire, and I kind of like that, you know. Uh, we went through some stuff, some refining, um, you know, some, uh, some hard times. Um, but we, <clears throat> we locked the doors every day on Monday, and the people that were inside that building didn't stop believing, and it's, it showed today. Um, we made it to the playoffs. It's awesome. Um, it's, probably, it's probably the coolest accomplishment I think I've ever had in my life, um, football-wise, to, to see where we were at, everything we went through, and to still make it. No record, no thing. This was the coolest thing to see this team come together and be able to still decide that this is what we wanted to do. And um, it, it's, it's a cool feeling, that's for sure. Okay, two points about what Rich Passaccia has done. Let's start with the first one. Has he coached his way into the permanent job, regardless of what happens in Cincinnati on Saturday? And Mike, Mark Davis, the owner of the team, has not engaged in the formal public search process. He had the two-week head start to talk to assistant coaches from other teams. Didn't do it. They, they expressed interest in Todd Bowles, the Buccaneers defensive coordinator, but they didn't do the let's line these guys up and start churning. They were focused on trying to get to the playoffs. Now, privately, there's a chance that Davis has talked to and definitely has talked about potential candidates to take over. And people in the know are, or at least I should say were, maybe still are, convinced that Davis was going to make a run at Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan coach. Does that go out the window now? I, do you have to? I, I, I don't. I, I, win or lose on Saturday, does Bisaccia get that job simply because of what he did last night and what he's done since John Gruden walked out the door after week five? I tell you what, I feel a lot more strongly about Bisaccia today than I did before last night's game. I thought after or before last night's game, he'd have to win one or two in the playoffs. I'm starting to think maybe he. He earned it last night. So sometimes, Mike, the answer's right in front of your face if you're willing to look at it, right? If you're not willing to have that thing in front of your face out of focus because you're looking past it, thinking you need somebody else, thinking you need a name. Do you? Look, look, look what he's done. Ask the players. You know, that, that's where I'm not. I'm not in the locker room. But it seems like the players really love this guy. And it seems like the players are going to go to bat for this guy. And understand as well what you do if now you bring in a new coach. You bring in a new coach. He brings in new coordinators. They bring in new assistants. Now you guys are getting coached by different people and you're coaching a, a different style. You know, it's a different offense, a different defense. You're not running the same things you're used to right now where you won your last four and you got in the playoffs. So sometimes, you know, don't, don't overthink it. You know, you say, wow, the guys, now again, there was losing in here. As I mentioned, they lost five of six before they won four in a row. And, and one of those losses was to the team they're going to play in Cincinnati. I think it was 32 to 13. But you know what? At the end of the day, with everything that went on, these guys answered the bell and Rich was a big part of it. So as I said, sometimes the answer is right there. And there's more to it than, as I said, just the name. 
So many things change when you bring in a whole nother regime as far as styles and everything. You got it right now. You ended on a nice run. You're in the playoffs. So maybe, maybe it's right there for you. Maybe you just make the, I'm not saying the easy decision. It could be the easy and the right decision to just keep rich and keep things going. And you know what? I thought of a different situation, although it doesn't involve the coach. It involves the most important position on the team. When the Vikings went 13-3 and in 2017, they beat the Saints with the Minneapolis Miracle, and they just said to Case Keenum, see you later. I mean, after Case Keenum came in and did what would have been unthinkable and incomprehensible and forges that team together, and they go 13-3 and and get within the brink of the Super Bowl, it's like, ah, we're going to go after Kirk Cousins, Vikings. What did that, what did that do for you? And it's, it's similar, but it's, it's different. But that thread is there. You've done something special. You make a major change, and that vibe gets dissipated. The Raiders have done something special that can carry over. And, Mike, here's my other point about Rich Passaccia. I, I had locked into Matt Flora as the coach of the year. I'm not so sure about that right now. Maybe that's why. I, I almost wish that the AP voters had a little bit longer than noon tomorrow, Eastern time, to make their ballots uh, and send them in because uh, maybe they need a little more time to think about this and digest it because, you know, I know Mike Vrabel's getting some buzz and LaFleur kind of deserves it for what he's done the last three years. I mean, Bruce Arians won it as the interim with the Colts in 2012. I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm rethinking my entire coach of the year construct. And uh, again, I don't want to get too caught up in what happened last night. But like you said, sometimes it's right in front of your face. Yeah, listen, I, 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 it's one of these where I'm not going to sit here and argue who wins coach of the year. There's so many you know, deserving coaches out there. Me personally, I would give it to Vrabel. With the injuries that they had to still come out you know, as the top seed, to me, is, is amazing. Uh, but if Passaccia got it, listen, I would stand and applaud for the job he's done. So I'm not one of those that's going to that's gonna complain and moan you know, about who gets coach of the year because there's uh, more than a few deserving guys out there. But he, his name should be in it. Again, given everything that went on, man, just stop, take a breath, and think about all that went on there. And they're playing in the playoffs as a five seed, too. You know, not the, not the seven seed, but a five seed, which if some things go their way, they could host a game. So, yeah, I, it, it, wouldn't, it would not surprise me, and I, I would not sit there and be a complainer if he won that. I think it would be great for him. And everything that happened last night ultimately allowed the Steelers to get in as the last seed, as the team that had no business getting out into the playoff field. And the last time they were in that position was 2005, and they simply parlayed that into a Super Bowl championship. So we'll talk about how the Steelers capped Ben Roethlisberger's final regular season with a win in Baltimore and what it means for them moving forward when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! 
stage. Unbelievable. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. Paris Olympics, this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. You guys buried us when we were one in three, you know? Um, Man, we got a lot of warts, Um, but we're here. And, uh, and, and that's been our position since September. Um, and, and so I'm just appreciative of, of, of that mental fortitude being displayed by those men in that locker room. I love Mike Tomlin. I got a ton of respect for him, but I hate that you guys buried us when we were one in three cards. You buried yourselves. You stunk. How dare we point out that you stunk? You did stink. Good for you that you unstunk. But at the time, the Steelers stunk. They got destroyed at home by the Bengals. It was over. It was done. That was it. And they were on that roller coaster all year. Mike, they hadn't won a road game since Halloween in Cleveland. They, the only reason they were still alive is because they have this magical vibe at Heinz Field where they don't lose. They hadn't lost at home since that Bengals game that caused us to bury them. But they took the magic on the road yesterday. That's what's so amazing about it. I thought after Monday night last week, they get the win, and Big Ben does the victory lap, and it's all about Ben, and this is great. Oh, and then you're going to go to Baltimore, and then it's not going to be, it's not going to be what it was Monday night at home against the Browns. But, but that made it all the more spectacular that they found a way. This was the Steelers taking the Heinz Field find-a-way vibe on the road. All phases, timely turnovers, just, just football happening in a way that makes you say, holy crap, I can't believe they're pulling it off. And that's, that's what they're going to need if they want to have any hope in Kansas City on Sunday. Well, that, that's what it was. And listen, they did stink. You're right. Even guys in a locker room had to, be, had to be thinking, we're not good this year. We can't score points this year. Every now and then our defense steps up and plays really well, though, and keeps us in games. Uh, so they were bad. They were a bad football team. But Mike Tomlin's doing what he's doing to band together. That's what you do. You know, it's us against the world. Nobody believes in us. So, you know, but we're here and we got it done. So screw everybody else. You know, I get it. I get that mentality. I've been in the locker room when, when that goes on. So I get it. But they were a bad team. And during the season, they got blown out by the Chiefs, put 36 on them. The Chiefs can score points. The bottom line is the Chiefs can score points and Pittsburgh can't. Listen, it's a great job by them getting to the playoffs. And as I've always said, just get there because you never know what can happen. Hell, Kansas City could play one of their stinkers that they did this year, and we've seen it. We've seen them not play well. It could happen. The, the defense for, for Pittsburgh could really step up and kind of slow them down. They didn't in the regular season, but that could happen because we've seen it happen during the year. You have no shot to win the Super Bowl if you're not in the playoffs, right? So you have a, you have a lot better shot when you're playing. Um, and my, those are my analytics. Uh, so they're in, so they get to play. Uh, but listen, they, they were bad. Congrats to them. 
You know, they beat the, this, this Raven team who lost, what, finished the year losing six in a row. But a heck of a finish for them. All you do is, is take care of the players and the game that's in front of you. They did. Another game going to overtime. Again, all of a sudden, everybody's trying to think of, of the ramifications. If these two teams tie, what, what's going to happen? Uh, who can still get in the playoffs? But it turned out, you know, we, as we saw Pittsburgh get the win. So, again, they're, they're a, a, a decent football team who played well at the right time and made the playoffs. I, I don't see it going well for them in Kansas City at all. But so what? Who cares what I think? You know, they're in that locker room. They're in the playoffs. They know they got beat in the regular season, but guys don't care about that. It's the playoffs, man. It, 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 it's amped up a whole other notch, and you never know what can happen. At the risk of ultimately being accused by Chiefs fans of jinxing Patrick Mahomes, the one dynamic that we need to factor into this year's playoffs is Mahomes could get COVID on Thursday and not play in the game, right? Well, I mean, he could. He could wake up sick, and, and no matter – any effort by him to conceal the symptoms, it's obvious he's sick. That could happen. So, you, yeah, if you're in it, anything can happen. And I made the comment earlier, and I made the observation on Twitter last night, that this is the 2005 Steelers all over again, where they were left for dead after losing at home to the Bengals in December, and then they just started winning football games. And they started chipping away and chipping away, and they got to the playoffs, and Holy crap, they have no bit they went back to Cincinnati and they won a game there. They had no business doing that. They went to Indianapolis, beat the best team in the NFL. They had no business doing that. They went to Denver and beat the Broncos. They had no business doing that and they landed in the Super Bowl. And uh that when you have a quarterback speaking of Denver, cuz this reminds me a little bit. It's a different setup, different quality of season, but Peyton Manning's last year in Denver. You have a quarterback entering a playoff run knowing this is it. Different mindset. Then a quarterback who knows, well, all right, if we lose, load up the cannon and get ready for next year. This is it. This is it. And you're starting to see that urgency creep into everything he does. And it's giving him, I think, a focus. Think about that fourth down play that extended the drive that allowed them to get themselves in position. The Ray Ray McLeod throw. We were watching the game, and even though I'm not in the NBC viewing room, I'm plugged in remotely. Yeah, where else was the ball going to go when he threw it to Ray Ray McLeod? But that's that's the laser focus he has that a defense may not have. And, you know, he, he plays within his abilities now. He's not trying to run around and do things that maybe he shouldn't do. Gets rid of the football, makes quick decisions. And Mike, he knows this is it. No matter what happens... In the playoffs, he knows that the next time they lose is the next time he walks off the field, and it's the last time ever. Uh, and uh, that, that's, a, that's a different vibe that not many quarterbacks or teams carry into a playoff run. That's what makes it so exciting for me. Completely agree. And as I said, it already amps up anyway, you know, from regular season to postseason when it's lose and you're done. I mean, it, it's that quick. You made it to the postseason – then as soon as you lose, the next day you're in your locker room packing everything up. Let me tell you, it's a wild feeling when you have these, you know, aspirations of going deep into the playoffs or making it to the Super Bowl. Then it's over and everybody's cleaning out their locker and the team's going to be different. And knowing that this would be the last time Ben's cleaning out his locker, yeah, that adds a little more oomph to it. I mean, because, again, this team, I mean, I don't know what the early spread was in this game, but I mean... Can anybody name three starters on that offensive line? I mean, it's been a revamped offensive line, you know, uh, and, and, but, but give them credit. I mean, for what they're doing, Najee Harris has come in and been phenomenal 
as a rookie in the backfield, especially catching the ball out of the backfield. So you, you do play with a different vibe. That's why people look at the regular season and say, oh, Kansas City smoked them, it'll happen again. Man, don't do that. Don't, don't get fooled into that. Because outside of, you know, looking at your one-on-one matchups with guys you're going to play against, and you throw the regular season out the window, certainly you'll learn from it and can watch it, rewatch it, and try and learn some things from it. But don't sit there and say, oh, because that happened, it's going to happen again. It might, but it, again, it's a different vibe, man. When it's down to one game, one game, and the deeper you get into that game and the closer it is, and that's obviously what Pittsburgh needs to do. They need to hang around. Because if they get down a couple scores in this one, it's going to be difficult because they're not built to come back from scores down like this uh, to do it on a consistent level. But it's the playoffs, man. And when, when one guy, when a guy who's going into the Hall of Fame's career is over as soon as you're out of the playoffs, again, that adds a little more mustard to it. Two things about blowouts in the regular season and rematches in the playoffs. First of all, a lot of times... That final score that makes you say, oh boy, they got the crap kicked out of them. It's a play here and it's a play there that breaks the dam. And uh, you take away this one, you take away that one, and maybe it's not as ugly as it was. And secondly, if you do hang around, you start to develop that vibe where, hey, we got a chance here. And that has an impact on the team that had the blowout the last time that entered the game thinking, oh, well, well, this, oh, 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 this, you know, we... We're much better than this team. You get into the third quarter and you're thinking, wow, we really got ourselves into a fight today. And, and that starts to creep into the players' minds a little bit on both sides. You have confidence on one side and lack of confidence on the other side. And, and who knows? Now, the last time I engaged in this analysis, let me tell you this. It was a couple of years ago when the Packers and the 49ers were getting ready for a rematch in the NFC Championship. I went back and watched their Sunday night regular season game. Watched the whole game, looking for any clues. Because I wanted to get this one right. Looking for any clues. It's like, you know, the 49ers blew them out. But it's just this play here, and this play here, and they got fooled here. They went back to George Kittle on a play where they set him up. You take away those plays, it's a close game, and the Packers can win this game. I think the Packers will win this game. I picked the Packers will win this game. Mike, the... 49ers blew him out again. So it, it gets so history can repeat itself. But but if if the this has been the Steelers formula and they took it on the road again yesterday, which is critical because they hadn't been able to. If they can take that whatever it takes vibe on the road and and support their offense where I agree with you. I can't name one offensive lineman from the Steelers. If if you can take that vibe to Arrowhead Stadium, you got TJ Watt who got 22 and a half sacks in 15 games, tying Michael Strahan's asterisk record because he got the Brett Favre, uh, uh, whatever that was, in 2001. Yeah. And you got so you got T.J. Watt, you have Mike Tomlin. You, let's not overlook the fact that you have Mike Tomlin, one of the best coaches the NFL has ever seen, who's going to know how to get these guys in the right frame of mind, and he's going to have them ready to execute. And uh, that, that Sunday night game... Look, it could very well be a blowout. And, and it could be like it was last year, wild card round Sunday night, where it's over by the end of the first quarter when the, when the Browns came in and kicked the crap out of the Steelers. But the fact that that happened just last year, I don't know. I don't, I don't, want, to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I just feel like the Steelers are going to give them more than, than we expect right now. I may feel differently come the weekend, but right now I think the Steelers are going to give them more than we expect. Listen, I, I, and you said it, and you're right. You know, as the game goes on 
and things are happening, all of a sudden, you know, there's a little of, uh-oh, they're hanging around. Hey, we're hanging around. Things can change. You know, we saw Tyreek Hill all of a sudden have a heel issue and was out for a little bit. He came back in. I mean, little things like that, you don't know what's going to happen. You're right. A TJ Watt, all of a sudden there's a sack fumble at the right time. You don't know. You do, It just builds. I mean, it, it's not, you know, maybe it is apples and apples. We'll see. It's the same sport. You look at the title game tonight, Georgia against Alabama, four other times uh, two top five AP teams met in the regular season, then met in the postseason. All for the other four times, this is the fifth time, the other four times, the team that lost in the regular season won in the postseason. So, I mean, you just don't know. It's different. You can throw out that regular season game. Different factors, different ending, different mentality when you know it's a one-and-done situation and you don't have next week to make up for it. You don't know. Now, I'm not picking the Steelers to win this game. I'm certainly picking Kansas City to win this game. I think they're the better team. But we're both making the point that everybody knows. You're in. You never know what can happen on that game day. We had so much conversation last night about the idea that the Raiders wanted to avoid the Chiefs and get the Bengals. And again, the rest angle is important. But um, I wonder what the Chiefs... I I don't know that they're ever going to be candid about it and truthful about it. I wonder who they were hoping to see on Sunday night. Did they want the Raiders again? Did they want the Chiefs again? I mean, they, you know, they, they beat both of them handily. I'd, I'd love to know what Andy Reid... Maybe if you buy him a big enough cheeseburger, he'll tell you the truth as to who he really wanted to see come into town. But... Between the two coaches, all due respect to Rich Basaccia, I'd rather face him than Mike Tomlin in a single elimination setting because Tomlin knows a thing or two about about uh, coaching a team in situations like that. So uh, one of the reasons that the Steelers are getting in is because the Colts blew their opportunity to punch a ticket to the postseason. Oh. Good God. I uh, Rich Eisen had a funny tweet. He said uh, – Two weeks ago, the Colts were the team nobody wanted to face in the playoffs, and now the Colts are the team that nobody will face in the playoffs. I, very simple. This is my analytics for the day, Mike. If you can't beat the Jaguars with a playoff spot in the line, you don't belong in the playoffs. It's that simple. They lose 26-11. to 11. It felt worse than that. It was 26-3 to 3 until late in the game, and the Colts just never showed up. Darius Leonard had said that they were kind of lackadaisical the week before the Raiders game that they lost at home, but we had a better practice week this week. Well, you need to have a – wasn't good enough. Uh, unbelievable. And kudos to the Jaguars for getting it together. And, uh, you know, when it would have been very easy for guys to make business decisions and tap out and it had just given up 50 to the Patriots. Unbelievable that the Jaguars did what they did and inexcusable for the Colts to blow that game. So first, let me give props to Jacksonville. And Shaquille Griffin, I thought, had the the line that I try to express all the time. He said, listen, we don't know what's going to happen with the coaching staff, and we don't know what's going to happen with some of the players on this team. But he said, this is one more chance to put your resume on tape, to show coaches, whether it's on this team or around the league, what you can do. And he's exactly right. That's your resume. Your resume is the eye in the sky and how you play. And I love that line. This was one more chance. And they stepped up and they smacked the Colts right in the mouth. So kudos to you, Jacksonville. You not only get the win, you still get the number one pick in the draft. So, you know, Hutchinson or Thibodeau, you know, either pass rushing D-end, you know, you'll, you'll have your chance in Jacksonville because that's probably going to be the pick. And then on, how about on the other side of it? The Colts trade for Carson Wentz, give the Eagles a first-round pick, 
Wentz ends up throwing what? In the last eight games, over 200 yards just twice. So the, the Philadelphia Eagles get a first-round pick, and they're in the playoffs with Jalen Hurts. I mean, it is horrific. I had a chance to talk to Frank Reich this week in a, in a podcast I was doing a few days ago. And we, we asked, we were talking about Carson Wentz, and he said, listen, we have what I think should be the MVP in Jonathan Taylor, the leading rusher of the league. And again, we know about his season. But he said, there are going to be times when we need to count on Carson Wentz, and he's going to have to come through. And he didn't, right? He didn't. I mean, he had his chances, as I said. Now, when I say the last eight games, only twice he was over 200 yards, some of those games, they didn't need it because Jonathan Taylor is running well. So that can be a misleading stat. But... When they need him to make plays, he was not doing it at a rate good enough for this team to get into the playoffs. So, I mean, I, I am stunned. Stunned. They had two shots. One was against the playoff team, now that we know what was the Raiders. But this one was against a two-win team. And to, to feel that you weren't ready or you weren't there or you were lackadaisical, man, those players, I, I know, are, and I know they're going to say, listen, those guys in Jacksonville, they get paid. They're professional athletes. I get it. But man, that's embarrassing. You had two shots. You had two shots. And, and you didn't, couldn't take care of them, even with a two-win team. It's embarrassing. And, you know, Carson Wentz got what he wanted. He, he wanted a fresh start. He wanted a place where he could go take over. And like you said, Mike, there are occasions where the quarterback has to step up and get it done, and he didn't get it done yesterday. And I, we're, we're going to talk later in the show about what will, won't, may, could happen by way of coaching changes. But one, one of the things I, I, I love about the NFL, and, and I say I love it because it, it adds to the intrigue and the drama and the unpredictability. You've got multi-billion dollar organizations whose business is to put on football games and to try to win football games. And those organizations aren't publicly owned like every other multi-billion dollar organization in the country, basically, that's, you know, corporation with a board of directors and all that, and everything is very reasoned, except the Packers. You've got a monarchy system for these various teams where the team gets handed down from generation to generation. And does anybody really know how Jim Ursay is going to react to what happened yesterday after he sleeps on it for a day or two or three? I, I can't rule out Jim Ursay deciding this is completely and totally inexcusable and it's embarrassing and I'm getting rid of everybody. I'm getting rid of Frank Reich. I'm getting rid of Chris Ballard. We don't know what Jim Ursay is going to do. And we didn't expect him to be in this spot. We expected the Vikings. We expected the Bears. We expected some of these other teams to be in this spot, so we've had had the opportunity to think about it and talk about it and process it, as had their owners. Jim Ursay never expected to be in this spot, Mike. So he's waking up this morning in Indianapolis, and he's going to roll out of bed, and who knows what he's going to do once he puts his robe and slippers on and goes and has a cup of coffee because he's got the ultimate power over this team. He's the king. And if he decides what happened yesterday is embarrassing and inexcusable and we can do better, I don't know what he's going to do. And, and so, you know, I've been watching all the different hot spots and where could changes be made. Because of the way these businesses are managed and run and owned, you have to at least be wondering what is Jim Ursay going to do? Because he has all the power to make a decision like that and say what happened yesterday, I, 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 th that, that, there's got to be accountability. And I can't fire myself, so I'm going to go fire some other people instead. Well, listen, when, when, what you said at the end there, he has the ability to make the decision like that. That's what you don't want to do, right? 
You don't want to make the decision snapping your fingers and saying like that. There's got to be a thought process behind it for any team if you're not happy maybe with your quarterback or other positions. Listen, I thought Frank Wright and Chris Ballard had done a nice job of acquiring talent. We all thought this was a playoff team the way they were playing, but they didn't get there. So where, where do you look? Listen, we can put some blame on Carson Wentz, but a lot of time, and we know the saying, too much blame goes on the quarterback. They get too much glory and too much blame. But I just hear those words of Frank Reich in my head. At times, Carson's going to have to step up for us. And unfortunately, he didn't didn't do it. But again, so what's your thought process on coach, GM, quarterback? It's always going to be, well, what's the alternative? You know, as I said earlier about the, the, the Raiders, you know, do you make that decision and say, okay, we're changing everything. Now new head coach, new GM, new system, offensively and defensively. All the players are changing again. Do we want to go through that? If we want a new quarterback, who's the quarterback out there? If we're getting rid of this guy, I don't want this guy anymore. Okay, well, what's your answer? Who are you going to get? You know, because you have built a team that's in a win-now mode. And you didn't this year, and it was embarrassing. I get it. But you still have the talent to do it now. You have the, basically one of the top two, if Derrick Henry's healthy, two of the best backs, you know, in the league in Jonathan Taylor. You have a hell of an offensive line, who, by the way, did not, did not pass protect very well yesterday at all. So there's a lot of accountability to go, to go on. But I think they have a lot of the right pieces there so I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I hope Jim Ursay doesn't snap his fingers and make some snap decision that you make all these changes and then all of a sudden you're kind of looking around going, okay, now we have to kind of start over again. October 12, 2021, tweeted at 6.17 p.m. by Jim Ursay. Colts Nation, don't you worry. We're going to get the horseshoe at least two Lombardies this decade. As sure as the sun rises and the seasons change, it's coming. Don't ever doubt that, ever. You will see greatness. Believe and you will see. We didn't see greatness yesterday. And, and again, Mike, he shouldn't do it. No. But it's fascinating that one person has the power if he so chooses to utilize it, to say, hey, Frank Reich, you came and sat in my office last year and you talked for 45 minutes about what a great decision it would be for us to bring Carson Wentz to town, and it wasn't. And it was your call. I, I listened to you. Chris Ballard was saying maybe we shouldn't do it. I listened to you. I, I can't. I, this can't This can't continue. Who, who knows? I'd love to know who at the end of the day was the champion for Carson Wentz because it's a pass-fail business. There are no grades. It's pass or it's fail. And when you have an owner who's set the bar as multiple Super Bowl wins this decade, that, that it's accountability may come when it shouldn't. And I'm just I'm going to keep an eye on it because it's got to be a tough morning. For as hard as it is for fans to process the abrupt end of a season that had plenty of promise, it's even tougher for the people who hold the pink slip in the franchise. So uh, I'm just uh, all I'm saying is I'm going to be paying attention to what happens in Indianapolis in the coming days because you have one guy who has high expectations who's got to be feeling very upset and deflated about what's happened this season. Let's take a break. In Santa Clara, they're not feeling upset and deflated about what happened. A lost season turns into a playoff appearance. The 49ers keep it alive, dig out of the hole. We'll break down what they did once again to the Rams when PFT Live continues right after this. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.